Hello and welcome to the Sasha Sessions, a Team USA podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Cohen, Olympic silver medalist in figure skating. Joining me this week is Lori Hernandez, gold medalist in gymnastics. Lori talks about putting her mental health first as she prepares for her second games in Tokyo this summer. Welcome, Lori. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with your childhood and growing up, and you've done so much. You have such a positive disposition and attitude, and I read somewhere that you credit your your hard work, your leadership skills, and kind of your attitude to your mom, who was in the Army Reserves while while growing up. And I'm wondering what that looked like for you and if you have any specific memories of your mom growing up. Yeah, so she was actually in the Army Reserve before I was born. She was in for about six years. I've heard some crazy stories from her end. And uh, I definitely, you know, my mom played a really big role in my gymnastics career, as did both my parents. Um, I I definitely want to make sure that I'm including both just because my mom, with her being a social worker, was always like, let's talk about your feelings. Let's pull it apart. You're nervous. Here's how you fix that. Like, like just was always such a safe place. And my dad, of course, was that as well. But he was kind of the opposite in the sense of like, mind over matter, just go for it. Like you got it, like full send, you know? So to have the balance of both, I think was really helpful as a pro athlete, just cause, I mean, of course, everyone takes a second to figure out like when is the best time to rest and when is the best time to push. And sometimes that can be a very thin line as to what to do. And I think having both parents and, and knowing I have options was really helpful. You bring up such a good point, and it's a theme that's come up on this podcast in the past. And it's as an athlete, we we struggle with this fine line of if you're not pushing, you feel maybe like you're being lazy. But you know, we've certainly all learned the hard way that sometimes you push and you're injured, and then you're kind of two steps back. That is such a fine balance, especially in a sport like gymnastics, where you're pushing your body so hard to the limit from such a young age. And and that kind of brings me into my next question, which is, you know, you're preparing for a second Olympic Games. You are a veteran gymnast at this point. You've seen it. And, you know, you're you're 20 years old. But as a gymnast who's starting the sport from the age of like four or five, what is it like preparing for a, a second Olympics? And hopefully I'm right and you haven't had a birthday since I read my notes. I'm definitely 20. Okay, you great. nailed great. it. Nailed it. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's really weird. Uh, there's no book or podcast or video on what to do when you're trying to make a second Olympic gymnastics team. <laughs> so a lot of it feels like I'm just going off of what feels right. I think what's been really helpful was keeping in touch with Allie because she's done it. And um, she's just been so kind and and just like such a good friend checking in, making sure that I'm doing all right. And um, so helpful with like the recovery process, especially when I was first coming back, that was really important because I felt like I had no idea what I'm doing. I think most people, gymnastics or just adults in general, nobody actually knows what we're doing. We're all just kind of winging it. So um, I'm actually pretty comfortable with everything being in flux, but I think now being a couple years back into the sport after taking some time off, I've found my groove a little bit. Everything feels a little bit more like home. And I'm just, I'm excited for next year. I think it's going to be really competitive since we all have that extra year to gear up and to fix our technique and to upgrade and all these different things. So it's going to be a pretty crazy competition. And it's definitely going to be different than when I was 16, but it's a, it's a good different. I'm ready to experience all that at 20 and 21. Oh, there's so many directions I want to go with your answer. 
I definitely want to come back to to Ali and the importance of a support network and following in the footsteps of someone who who's done it before. But I also want to to go into this extra year. COVID has upended many plans for many people, including just what we take for granted and you know where you normally train. I heard that at one point you were practicing your beam routine on your living room carpet. Is that right? Yeah, I was uh, I was doing beam routines in my living room. And it was just interesting because I was I was I wasn't sure what was going to happen with gymnastics. I stopped training for a couple of weeks. I think everybody did for a couple of weeks. Even you know, I don't remember what the timeline was, but it was a good chunk of time. So I was getting a little nervous as to when I would come back. So I just started running beam routines. I put like a rug on the floor, and all was good in the world. <laughs> and I assume now your facility is open again, and tra- training looks a lot more normal. Yeah, I'm currently back in Orange County in California, and it's uh, it's good to be back. I really miss my family in Jersey, and it was so good to come home and connect with everybody. It was time that I wasn't supposed to have, and so I got really lucky with that like silver lining of this year. Uh, but to come home and to have the the groove of things and the rhythm come back to a little bit of what's normal, it, it definitely feels comforting. And what do you think you'll do with this quote unquote extra year of of training. I think the audience may not fully recognize how specific timing is in terms of when an athlete tries to peak, especially I think in a sport like figure skating or gymnastics, in terms of how the body changes, how um, the body you have as a 13-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old are completely different bodies and need different training uh, regimens. How has this year changed your, your training plans? Well, I think just as anything with extra time comes extra time to work on the little things and you don't have to stress about grinding for the meat season that's supposed to be present right now. You're getting ready for next year and you have time to work on maybe some form breaks or some techniques that were really off, but it's like, Hey, it's meat season. We got to figure it out anyways. So like scrap it, just make it, (laughs) which is not really the mindset you want to have. But as someone who came back a little bit late in the game, I think that made things a little tough. So now having this extra year, it's given me time to really hone in on maybe skills that I haven't competed yet. Or um, I watched a TV show over quarantine. I watched Money Heist and I loved one of the songs that was played. So I ended up cutting half my floor music as that. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if we weren't, you know, kind of in lockdown. So there's a lot of really good things that come from that. And I think a lot of that includes just upgrading and, and, paying more attention to the little things because we have the time to do it now. And you said you took a few weeks off when COVID hit and the world was in this very uncertain place. And I know that in in figure skating and in many sports, it takes for every week you take off, it's like three or four weeks to get back to where you were. Just curious what that looks like for you at this age. And it, from one perspective, like your, your experience, you know your mind, you know your body, you've done this before. What did it look like kind of coming back from those three or four weeks? And and coming back in general, because I know you did take some time off after your huge success at Rio and winning gold and silver. It was really nerve-wracking coming back after taking that amount of time off for for this year, for when COVID had first hit, just because I remember what it felt like taking two years off after 2016, coming back and trying to get all my skills back. And it was just so difficult. It made things, like it was just, and, and I knew it was going to be hard. I knew what I was walking into, but it still, you know, it still was very tough. And so having all that time off, even if it was just a couple of weeks, like you mentioned, sometimes taking a week off is two and three weeks back. 
And having a large chunk of time where I wasn't doing anything, I was like, oh man, I'm going to have to do it again, aren't I? <laughs> and it was, it was really overwhelming at first. I felt pretty stressed out. But as soon as I was able to get back into the gym, my muscle memory kicked in very fast. And we were able to just work on conditioning, work on the little things, start with basics. And I think it was something that I really needed. So it was a, it was a good thing. And I want to go back to your support network. And you said that you feel fortunate that in your friend, Allie Raisman, who's also an Olympic champion, you know, she's done this before and come back for two Olympics. Oh, what kind of advice has she offered you? And, and what moments in training do you find yourself reaching out? Ooh, I think the best thing that I've gotten from her is probably just to like not be so hard on myself. Because that's a really common thing for all of us. If we're not getting a skill right away, she'll like rationalize it for me and be like, listen, you just came back or like you've just had X amount of time off or this is a new skill for you. Like it's not going to happen right away. And being validated in that sense, sometimes my that pro athlete gear will shift of like I need to get X, Y or Z done and it needs to happen right now. And I, I can get really impatient just because I know the results I want to have. I believe in myself that I'm capable of doing it, but when it takes time, sometimes it can be really frustrating because I see what it can look like. And that's usually when I'm reaching out and she'll just remind me like, listen, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen right away. And that's, that's a really helpful hand to have in my corner. She's awesome. I love her. <laughs> that's so important. I know for me, my mom was a big support system. It's true that if you don't see yourself where you want to be in that moment. It's it's hard to imagine that you'll be as prepared as you want to be at this huge event. And you kind of always want to have it in your pocket, ready to go and be like, oh yeah, I can do this. The nature of, of a sport that demands so much to know that you have to plan and peak at certain times. Uh, so I definitely relate to you on that. I love what you were saying that uh, Ali offered to you that, you know, you got this, don't be so hard on yourself. And that could go a number of different ways. I, I believe that's the title of your book right? <laughs> and your children's book, or she's got this. And you've done so much. Tell me a little bit about the title of the book and how that came about and kind of why you chose to share that story. Well, <laughs> it was actually, I think a lot of people took it as, wow, she's just really confident. Like, look at her go saying like, she's got this and then going and hitting a good routine. And that's, you know, that's a great thing. That's that's the goal of it is to appear very confident. Um, I was so nervous. I wanted to crawl out of my skin. That's usually me before meets at any time. And then once I get up there, everything ends up being fine. But even for meets before the Olympics, I was doing the same thing where I'd put my hand on my stomach and I would do belly breaths and like watch my hand go in and out. And it was a way to calm me down before I went. And um, I just remember my mom telling me like, you know, right before the meet starts or whenever, like grab the equipment and like tell it that it's yours. Like that's yours. Like that's it. It just, it is what it is. Even if you don't feel that way, like it's yours. And so I would go and I'd grab the equipment. I was like, okay, you're mine. <laughs> just freaking out the whole time. And mantras was a way for me to kind of like fake it till you make it. Like even if I was feeling nervous and my subconscious brain was like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to fluke it. I'm going to fall. I'm going to do all X, Y, or Z. I was constantly battling that with, I'm going to be fine. I've trained for this. I've got this. I know I can do it. I'm going to hit a great routine. Like just very much so like 
like right to the point, like not questioning it. Like, I hope I make a good routine. Like, no, I'm going to hit a great routine. It is what it is. I'm going to succeed. Like there's no other way, like just very much so ominous positivity. And, you know, it it turns out if you say that enough times, uh, your brain's going to start believing it. And so will your body, even if you don't feel that way at first. And so in competing and saying like, I got this, there's like, I don't remember who, somebody made a reel of me doing it at different meets that year. And when I went to the Olympics and I was getting ready to compete at Beamer Team, I saluted the judges and the camera got real close to my face. And I said, I got this. And then I hopped up and, and hit the routine. And then I turned into a meme, you know, that's, that's everything. You've officially <laughs> made like, it once you become a meme. <laughs> I have made it. I became a meme. Like that's all I've ever wanted. The Olympics was great, but oh, I was a meme. So So tell me about that experience, your first Olympic Games. You were part of the final five. You won the team gold, silver in the beam. I mean, I think it's so hard to describe like the magnitude of a first Olympics. Like you don't know what to expect. And you're in one of those really cool sports where you get to compete individually and as part of a team, something as iconic as gymnastics, where, you know, U.S. women are usually so strong. I'd love to hear, you know, what the experience of the games, you know, of a first games was like, maybe what surprised you, and then what it's like being part of a team versus competing on your own. Ooh, I mean, wow, there's there's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think going to the Olympics as a 16-year-old was such an odd and awesome experience because at 16, I was kind of focusing on all the wrong, but like the right things, but like the wrong things. Like I wasn't nervous to compete because I was at the Olympics. Like I was nervous to compete just because like I wanted to do really well. (laughs) And it's of course like the Olympics is so nerve wracking, but in my head I was like, okay, it's just another meet, but I'm still very nervous because I get really nervous at meets. Like very kind of ignorance is bliss. Like I'm here to have a good time, but also still terrified. And I just, I I tried to take it all in as much as I could. And there's not really a lot of words for describing like doing something so big at such a young age, because I don't think, you know, younger me could comprehend the magnitude of what I was doing and and what, you know, I, I understood it. It's what I had always wanted and achieving that, of course, like I got emotional over it, but I was just so excited. You know, I was kind of like naive and ambitious and all the things that 16 year olds kind of are supposed to be. So, you know, it was just, it was a wonderful experience and, and being with a group of girls who, especially like you could watch us on screen, just rooting for each other and wanting the best for each other. I think that was so important for everybody to see that you have all these like competitive women, but we're on a team together. We're doing this together. Like the goal is to win together, to lose together, to do it all together. It was so nice to have that support system out there full of people who are going through the exact same thing that you are. Not many people can, um, as much as advice that I wanted before going to the Olympics, it was really tough to like, for other people to comprehend it, which makes sense. But to have a group of people who are in there with you, it was just a really special moment, I think. And um, we got to meet some really cool athletes. I got to meet Usain Bolt and I was just so starstruck and in awe and excited. And um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was a huge whirlwind. I just tried to take in everything that I could. Sorry, I don't even know if that answered the question, but. No, definitely. I've been giving you three part questions, like test your memory. (laughs) 
So you you said you met um, Usain Bolt, which was was super cool. And I think you know people don't realize how cool it is for first time Olympians because we're we're always competing, traveling around the world, but we're generally you know we're competing in our field and just meeting fellow gymnasts or fellow ice skaters. And so all of a sudden you're meeting like swimmers and people in track. It just it opens up your eyes, like kind of the power of the human body and how different people train and how they prepare. And it's 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 so cool because you're kind of united under this Team USA flag and then you're all coming together to this huge event that the world is taking in. What did you remember when you walked in the opening ceremonies kind of for the first time as, as a 16-year-old in Rio? Oh, I felt like my stomach was going to drop out of my body. I mean... <laughs> I remember we were walking in a line and we had done prelims. We had been able to train a little bit in the arena, but we walked out in a line and they said like, okay, like welcoming like team USA. And we walked out and the whole crowd was just going wild and cheering and screaming and people were like shaking flags and stuff. And I, it was kind of like sensory overload a little bit. Um, I think my brain really pulled the parachute in that moment. And I was just tunnel vision, but it was like a default setting. It wasn't like, okay, I need to tune it out. It just happened. And then next thing I know, I'm saluting and getting ready to start the meet off on vault. And it, it, it all kind of feels like it's somehow at the same time, it's like a blur, but also I remember every detail because it was such a huge moment. But that first walkout was just... Um, it's when it really hits you. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So going into potentially a second games, everything's kind of been upended in terms of you know normal planning and schedules. The trials, I believe, are next June. It might. It's either late June, early July. And the U.S. team is, is super strong. How do you kind of think about that stepping stone? How, how do you prepare for that that mentally? You know, you've, you've done this before. You've gone to one Olympics. You have an extra year to train. H- how do you take all that in and, and really prepare for that moment? Yeah, I, I feel like going into next year as the person I am now versus being like 15 and 16 years old, it feels really good because at 16 and competing, it was very much so like, I'm not afraid. I'm fine. Everything's great. Like single tearing it. Like, I'm not nervous. It's all going to go wonderfully. Whereas now it's kind of like, you know what? I'm actually very scared right now. <laughs> I'm super nervous. I want to do really well and that's okay. However, I can still be nervous and hit a good routine. And I think acknowledging all the things that I tried to avoid at 16 is going to be like, maybe a little superpower for next year. I, I've been working a lot on kind of my mental within the last two years and just like tuning more into myself, especially taking two years outside of gymnastics um, and doing everything under the sun that had nothing to do with gymnastics. It was really interesting to dip my toe in the waters of all things that I never could have imagined I would be doing. And so to loop it full circle and come back around and be here, it's going to be a completely different experience. And just, you know, gearing up with all the incredible athletes that we have going for Team USA for next year, it's going to be like a crazy competition. I mean, we have so many incredible athletes that deserve all the recognition in the world. And I'm just so proud. A lot of them are friends of mine and I'm just, I'm rooting for everybody. I'm rooting for us. So it's going to be a fun one. Next year is going to be crazy. (laughs) No, I I can see that in the maturity and there's such a different perspective that one has at 15 or 16 or 20 or 21, you know, especially going into this for a second time. And I think also realizing that the body changes and you can't do this forever. 
Uh, you know, we're not going to retire at 65. The sport gives you a certain window. And I think gymnastics is is one of those that is particularly tough, especially for a young girl. You know, there's so much scrutiny there, not only on performance, but on the body. And and you're having to do so much and train so hard at at such a young age. And, and I'd love to, you know, from either the perspective of advice you might give to a young girl coming up in gymnastics, watching you today and hoping to be at the Olympics in, you know, another four, eight years. And also how you personally dealt with the difficulty of, you know, all the expectations that are placed on a young gymnast hoping to make an Olympic team. Ooh, I mean, the, the first piece of advice would be super cliche, but just not to give up when things get hard. You know, if if you get an injury or if something's not going your way or if it feels like you're just ready to give up and quit, just hang in there because it's a rough patch. But just because you're hitting a rough patch doesn't mean that, you know, the end goal has to change. It might mean that the current path that you're on isn't working and you got to like shift the gears a little bit, but it doesn't mean that the end goal has to change. You just have to find another way. And I feel like that's really important in knowing that in anything that we do, there's always more options. Um, There's never just one choice. There's always another way to do something. And keeping that in mind for when things go really well and when things get really tough, especially when it comes to going through puberty, especially like as a young girl in, in a gymnastics community, sometimes that can be really harsh. And as best as possible, if if you're getting comments that are just not welcome or not good, trying to shed those off and to let them bounce off of you rather than let them come into your brain, which is such a hard thing to do. Everybody's going to be learning that, you know, for the rest of their lives. But kind of like putting your armor on and knowing that, you know, these people's opinions of you, they don't they don't matter unless they're prompted by you and unless you accept them and you welcome them, you know, and that's it's just it's a tough thing to learn whether you're in gymnastics or you're just a regular human being. It's going to be something that unfortunately we all have to learn and deal with. But at the end of the day, your opinion of you and the way that you view yourself is the most important thing in the world. And it's knowing that at the end of the day, you're, you're, you know, you're stuck with yourself forever. So might as well make your brain a really happy place to be because other people, unfortunately, you know, may, may not be as nice as we want them to be, but just because the world, I don't know, might be indifferent, it doesn't mean that we have to be, especially to ourselves. We should be the nicest to ourselves, just as we would be for anybody else. I, I think people hear that, myself included, and say, yes, absolutely. But we still have our, you know, those inner demons and the judgment and the wanting to please. And was this a, a process for you? Were there, you know, certain people or like role models in your life or books that you read, which really helped to have that paradigm shift to block out the noise of unwanted opinions that just really weren't helpful? Yeah, well, um, probably all the therapy I've done, really. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a huge, you know, advocate about just talking about mental health and pulling up the stigma. And in in doing therapy the last couple of years, I think there have been a lot of different breakthroughs that I've had. And, and those being of like trying to allow you know, the opinions of others to bounce off of you. And a lot of times it doesn't work and it really hurts. And I'm a very sensitive little bean that's afraid of many things. <laughs> but, you know, the the more I talk about it, the more I kind of learn how to do it myself. And, you know, I don't think it's something that anybody ever masters, but to try is the most important part. So yeah, therapy has been pretty great. It's it's not like, you know, it's somebody else fixing all my problems. They're just guiding me and, and nudging in the right directions. That way I can do it myself. Um, and, you know, if 
if not that, then just having really good friends and really good family or chosen family, whoever that can be for you. But having a person you can talk things through with is is so helpful. And even journaling is helpful as well, too, because as soon as you start, then you realize a lot of things that maybe you haven't been thinking about lately. It just all comes to the surface. And when it's done on paper, you can make room for all the other good things to come. So there's been a lot that's gone into it. Well, it sounds like you've really taken the time to get to know yourself and do this hard work. And, you know, as you have more experience in the world, I think you can just kind of see the things you can't see as as a 16-year-old. But you bring up mental health, which is such a huge topic and an ongoing issue for, for most athletes at some point in their lives. And, and you launched a campaign called Stronger Than You Think. And I would love to hear a little bit more about that and kind of understand why you launched it. Yeah, so uh, NAMI and One Mind had actually um, organized the event and had asked if I would be a co-host, which was mind-blowing. But the goal of the event was to do this three-day live stream where we just like riled in a bunch of celebrities and got them to talk about their mental health or you know, whoever was willing, however much they were willing to share. But to have people that have a huge following to talk about it, it's not like, oh, look, we're putting these people up on a pedestal just to like rub it in everybody's faces. It's no, they in a lot of people's eyes have everything and yet they still struggle. And this is what they struggle with. And this is what helps them. And it's a way to connect everybody because I feel like, you know, especially with this year and the lockdown, there's such a huge disconnect. So to have a way that we can connect and share and, you know, mentally match where other human beings are, I think was really important. And it was such a huge honor to be a part of that. I want to circle back to the sport of gymnastics. And you know, certainly, and the public knows that uh, USA Gymnastics has dealt with its fair share of difficulties, you know, in the past few years, to put it lightly. And it, it seems like they're really trying to address those deep-seated issues. And I'd love to hear, you know, an insider's perspective on how those events, the scandal with Larry Nasser, how that may have affected you, and also the shift that you're seeing within USA Gymnastics to try to change as an organization. Yeah, I think change definitely... Everybody wants it to happen sooner than later, but, you know, hopefully I, I you know, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm, you know, I border realist and optimist. I'm somewhere in the middle with the acknowledgement of things that have happened in the past and doing something about it. We have to start somewhere. And as long as we keep the ball rolling, I think that's so important. However, there, there's still a long way to go, of course. I, I think just making sure that we can like listen to the athletes and that we're, we're hearing everybody and yeah, there's a long way to go, but change is, is happening and, and kind of reiterating what I said before, as long as it keeps happening and, and they keep acknowledging everything. I think that's really important. It's also a tough spot because I'm only 20 and I don't really have the answers and it's, it's a terrifying, um, <laughs> it's kind of a terrifying thing to talk about only because as someone who's had a case in that sense or as someone who's had to speak up about something that happened within gymnastics or that's happened to me it was so nerve-wracking and to have something be done about it to have kind of this suspension it feels good to have a voice heard certainly is so much on your shoulders uh, as a young woman not only with what you have to deal with to prepare and compete at an Olympic level, but also just what the culture of a sport is and and the expectations. And I think it it touches on many things, but even what we we started the conversation with, what is the fine line of when to push 
And when do you stand back? And I think that crosses over to like, what is the right way to engage in a sport to achieve optimal results? And like, what protects your mental health and your sanity and your dignity as an athlete and a person? I think that's something that sport in general, all sports may struggle with a little bit. And I've always had a hard time knowing when to trust that training was enough. And when it's, when it's healthy and when you're, you're, pushing the line. And, and it, it's really hard to know. And it's hard to know in a world that validates victory, but doesn't really maybe care so much about the process. Yeah, I uh, I noticed, especially sometimes, especially in practice, I can get really obsessive with what I'm doing. Um, and the perfectionist in me will actually go on overdrive. And instead of doing you know, like three or five skills, we're hitting like 10 and 12, like we're just going for it. And um, that's where my coaches kind of step in. They're like, okay, no more. Like that's, you know, too far. And what's tough is that the drive of perfection and the drive of wanting something to be better is rewarded, especially in a community that expects you to grind and to work hard to get the things that you want. And so when that like, you know, unhealthy style of ambition is rewarded, especially as a kid, then seeing another way to do it feels like you're being lazy, even though that's not the case at all. Um, And something that my, (laughs) something my therapist had actually said to me was like, you know, if it doesn't work by 10 or 12 and it's not working by five, would you rather do five wrong or 10 and 12 wrong? And I was like, well, I guess just five. And she was like, so at five, you know, and, and it's just, um, we ended up putting a number cap and then I was like, all right, today I'm only doing five. And I ended up, you know, doing the skill really well three out of five times. And it's, it's a lot of it. The sport is almost all mental, you know, cause the physical, if you're going in every day and you're getting your body to, to do stuff, you're going to see a lot of progress, but your brain is the thing that's going to pull everything together. And if that's not being tuned consistently, then there's a very good chance that it can waver. You know, all the hard work that you've put in can, can falter because your brain is, is the bridge. It's the connector. So, um, that's been a really interesting thing to, to look at and to oversee. And, um, also to know that the, the goal is to like survive and thrive in the end. We don't want to burn out doing too much and, and learning where that line is and having a guide on where that line is, is, is so important. Oh, I love that. I I love how much you've focused on mental health and kind of the importance of understanding the the fine balance of the the driven athlete and vanity and what ultimately kind of gets you over the finish line is not necessarily doing something a hundred times, which can lead to burnout or injury or just doing something wrong. And to drill down a little bit further, you know, you you've obviously done so much self-examination and it, it really comes across. What else would you offer to young athletes training or maybe athletes going into their second games of how to the mental work that you do? I know that you journal, uh, you do the belly breath. Do you meditate or what are what what's part of your daily routine that you really kind of feel like is is taking you in the right direction? Usually in the morning, I'll try to meditate just because it feels like it sets me up right? For the rest of the day. And if it doesn't happen, then it is what it is. But I just want to make sure in the mornings that I have some time, even if it's five, 10 minutes, just to myself where I'm not doing anything. I'm not like required to do anything. I'm not expecting myself to do anything. I'm kind of just existing and living in the moment. And that's very much so like meditation. So I feel like that's been really important because 
now that I've like given at least a little bit to myself, I now have more to give for the rest of the world. But yeah, I think just going back to the fact that like winning and and succeeding and getting to the end looks very, very similar to overworking and burning yourself out and figuring out, you know, taking the time to figure out where that line is for you. It's going to take time, but it's so helpful. And if you're tired, it's okay to rest. It doesn't mean stop and quit, but like, it's okay to rest. It's okay to maybe do the next level lower just to give your body a break. And you're going to come back even stronger because you've given your body a second to recalibrate and to get itself together. But yeah, that's, that's really the biggest thing. It's just, I I think I'm so used to seeing everybody like grind, go for it. And I'm like, wait, (laughs) just need a second. And it's okay. As long as you come back and and you come out of it, that's the most important part. Yes, burnout is real and the importance of of timeouts is incredibly important. I I remember training on the 4th of July in Connecticut. It was like 100 degrees doing sprints on the track and having the owner of the I-Train give me the key so I could come in and practice because everyone was out at the beach or celebrating with their families and I just broke down in tears. It was so emotional and I was like, I want to go home. I can't do this. And it's like the Olympics were still a year and a half away. <laughs> like I can't make 500 more days. So it, it is real. And um, it's amazing the perspective that you get when you have, when you have a week off or you just take whatever space it is that you, you need in that time and the family to support you. Uh, I want to shift a little bit to the type of athlete you are. And I always find it very interesting because there's such different personalities in every sport the way people train, the way they show up, the risks they choose to take in their routines. I've heard you say that you've always wanted to be someone that the team can count on. And so perhaps you choose a more conservative routine and just knowing that you're going to you're going to execute every time and people can depend on you. Have have you always been that way or was this kind of something constructed by an ask by a, another coach for you? Um how how did you get there? Ooh, I I think I definitely didn't come up with it. (laughs) It just kind of came over time with experience and competing. What is it like when I compete really hard skills versus what do I look like when I'm competing skills that are easy for me? And the skills that are easy for me might be really difficult for somebody else. So it's finding those skills that like, how can we make the most out of this thing that may be my specialty where I don't know. A lot of mine might be like leaps and jumps per se. And those, if done right, can have a really high start value. If done wrong, can kind of knock the whole routine out. And making sure that I can go up and just be this person of like, okay, we knew she's going to hit. She's going to be consistent. It feels it feels like the right way to go for me. However, with this extra year, we're putting in a lot of skills in my routine that I haven't competed before. And we're playing... Well, <laughs> I don't want to say play with fire. I'm not doing anything crazy. We're just doing skills I haven't done before. But um, we're we're playing around with that idea a little bit and seeing kind of how much I can I can rack up and still be consistent. Because at the end of the day, that's the goal is to have such crazy difficulty. I mean, someone's doing all these insane flips and tricks and all these different things. And we're just admiring that she can do this and like still hit it, you know? And so to get to that point, of course, is the goal. And um, I think for me, hitting is is just as important as it is for everybody. But it's something that we make sure to really focus on. Well, I'm excited to see what this, this routine holds. I want to move on to life maybe outside gymnastics for a second. You took two years off after Rio. You certainly weren't just sitting around. Um, I believe you won Dancing with the Stars. You wrote two books. Tell me a little bit more about what those 
two years were like and the the perspective that gave you, you know, away from sport? Yeah, the two years off, I had a really good time. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I, I just, I got to have so many experiences that I never would have thought I would have. I remember watching Dancing with the Stars before the Olympics and my dad told me, you know, one day you're going to be on that show. And I was like, dude, that's so weird. Why would you say that? <laughs> like, that's, there's no way. And then I ended up, you know, getting the call like, hey, Dancing with the Stars, like, once you want, are you going to do it? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And just meeting new people, doing a completely different sport, dancing, you know, in such a short amount of time and trying to look like a professional. It was such a challenge and it was so much fun for me. I had such a wonderful and patient partner, which was really helpful. And then I got to do two tours and and come out with a book and a clothing line and just all these different things that I could only have dreamed of doing. And you know, it was a lot. And at times I definitely was like, all right, I need a break. I'm a little tired. But to have all of that jam packed into two years was, um, it was a wild ride. And I think being so young and experiencing it definitely had its pros and cons, but for the most part, it was just, you know, I had the stamina to, to do all of it. <laughs> and, uh, I feel like, you know, if a decade from now I was trying to do the same things, I, I definitely would have burned out a little earlier, but I was just so excited. So I, I got a lot of experience and, and met a lot of new people and yeah, I was having a good time. <laughs> Well, it was, it was certainly fun for everyone, everyone to watch you. What influence do you think, you know, whether that was a book or a person or an event has, has most shaped you? And I know you've done so many things and so many experiences, but I, I do find that, that some people can kind of zoom in at a certain place and time in their life, maybe when they were injured or lost a loved one. And it really shifted how they, they saw the world and ultimately kind of how they started to, to show up and, maybe change their values or what was important to them. And I'm curious if you've had a moment like that. And and certainly in sport, injuries are usually a big one because you're off for three months and you have a lot of time to think. <laughs> but I'm wondering what that might be for you. Ooh, I mean, I think I'm only just realizing this now, but <laughs> being on, on Dancing with the Stars and having to perform a dance live after finding out that um, you know, uh, one of my family members died. My, my grandma had passed away in that same week. And then having to go out and dance, that was really difficult. And it's not something that I had expected that year. You know, I had this like really high high of the Olympics and then somebody that I grew up with, you know, suddenly, you know, pass. And, and it was nerve wracking and, and, and terrifying, but in dancing and, and, dancing with a partner, it was almost like a creative outlet that I was able to just get it out and express what I was feeling through what I was physically doing. And I think the biggest takeaway from this year is that having any kind of outlet for me, any creative outlet, whatever it is to like place emotions has been just such a lifesaver. And especially or like in quarantine, we've had so we've had so much time that like I started writing, which is something I used to do when I was a little kid. I loved it. My mom always encouraged it. The stories are super weird. And then I I ended up taking an online class for UCLA. It was like an extension class. And I did screenwriting and I did acting and I loved both of them. And I started working on just a, a plethora of stuff. And you know, sometimes gymnastics is my outlet where, you know, something really frustrating or whatever it is may happen. And I get to go to practice and just take all of it out when I'm practicing. And then sometimes gymnastics is the reason why I need an outlet. So I leave practice 
and I can come and like play music or start writing or meditate, journal, whatever it is, but having a place to tune into what I'm feeling rather than either ignoring it or dwelling in it has been just, it's been huge. Well said. And uh, I, I completely agree with that. Balance is, has a way of giving you perspective and keeping you sane. Five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, when you've perhaps retired from gymnastics, what do you see yourself doing? Uh, I'll be acting, I think, or doing anything in entertainment. You know, competing floor is, that's one of my favorite things to do because I get to be like a crowd pleaser. I get to perform and I still want to do that after gymnastics, even if it's not sport related, you know, doing either, whether it's theater or on screen acting or whatever it is, something where I get to just exercise being creative. And I just, I find a lot of joy in that. I, you know, it's, it's nothing crazy. It's just, um, it's a lot of fun. And I feel like I'll, I'll get to learn a lot about myself as time goes on. And yeah, that's something that I've always loved, especially since I was a little kid. I used to tell my mom all the time that I wanted to be an actress and I liked like imitating other people and performing and whatnot. So anything, you know, entertainment, music, acting, dancing. I just, I'd love to do it. Well, that, that sounds um, incredible. I'm sure you'll be great at it. And it's something for your fans to continue to watch you as you grow outside of sport. I want to end with one uh, last question that I ask everyone, and it would be, what is your Olympic or Paralympic moment outside of sports? I have a lot of different moments. Um, two that are really sticking out. Well, I guess I have three. Well, <laughs> I have a lot. Uh, the ones that are sticking out, I remember growing up, it, it wasn't the Olympics, but I remember watching Sean Johnson and Nasty Luke and like on my television screen doing gymnastics. And I thought they looked so cool. I was five years old at the time. And I pointed to the screen and I looked at my mom and I said, I want to be just like those girls. And she was like, oh, okay. And she put me in, she put me in gymnastics and that's how I got started. And, you know, that was huge. That was like, you know, representation. I didn't know, you know, flipping like that existed. I, I had never dreamed of it, but I saw somebody do it. And I was like, okay, I want that. And to have a support system that allowed me to do that and exercise that I think was really important for little me. Another one would be just, you know, every, every time the Olympics would come on, it was huge for me and my family to go ahead and watch all the different sports and then being in Rio and knowing that like every country gets their own kind of building and coming back to our building after, I think we were coming back from lunch, and like Michael Phelps just kind of walked out of the building and I was like, oh my God, it's Michael Phelps. <laughs> and just being so excited. And then, you know, as time goes on, now it's like, if we're passing by, it's like, oh, hey, like, <laughs> just like such a good person. But all those different moments and experiences were just so, they really shaped my life and, and shaped me as an athlete, I think. Because seeing Michael walk around the Olympic Village, I was like, oh, snap, he's here, but I'm also here. And I was like, should I be here? <laughs> Am I supposed to be here? Is this right? Like, was there a typo in my name? And it was like, no, I I, I worked hard. I get to be here too. And that, that was actually kind of hard to let that sink in for a second. But that was a, that was a big moment. <laughs> that is a, a, such a super incredible coming together of world, right? When you see legends from around the world, from the U.S. included, and you're a first-time athlete and taking it all in. I think, to me, that definitely was one of my favorite moments of the games. And on a slight side note, how I started, you know, I started gymnastics before I skated, and it was basically because I had too much energy and I was destroying the house. I was like running around like a Tasmanian devil, knocking everything over, and my mom was like, okay, 
we need to put you in gymnastics for four hours a day. <laughs> and then I came back and I was a very calm, well-behaved child. And so that was um, the stepping stone that led to figure skating. But it was basically just um, to have a, a docile, <laughs> well-behaved child. That's amazing. Yeah, I used to flip on the bed. My dad was like, sweetie, please stop flipping on the bed. I'm begging you. You're going to hurt yourself. And I would just like keep going. Like just, yeah, that spirit. The you Olympic spirit. love it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining. I think this was such a special conversation, touching upon mental health and sharing so much of your process and how you've become the woman you are. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to The Sasha Sessions wherever you get your podcasts. You can find new episodes every Monday. Produced by Bigfoot Music and Sound in New York City.